everybody. Welcome to the ULP, which, as we all know, is the uh, Ugly Looking Penguins podcast. On the podcast tonight, it's me, Scott, along with... Ryan Johnson. Jeff Rupert. Corey Evan Wright. Chris Darden. Enthusiastic as ever, guys. Good work. <laughs> Before we launch into everything here, we're going to do a quick roundup of what our week was like in gaming. I'll pop off first. I had a pretty good week this last week on some thrift store finds. I uh, ended up hitting two different stores where I found about 17 decent games. I'll actually probably be talking about them on a, on the next episode when I do a segment we call the Thrift Score Report. Uh, but yeah, I didn't play much this week, but finding a number of quality pieces was pretty joyful for my week. I also didn't really play a whole lot. I, had, I did have a busy week. Uh, I'm working on my house, but I've been working on some artwork for Solar Flare Games, Nightmare Forest. Not really anything original, but that's kind of kept me busy as well. So, Recently, I played at the... Uh, we do a hosted game night at Schlafly Bottleworks, uh, Geekway does. And so I go down there and played some games. I played Cacao, which is a tile layer. Uh, Zuloretto, which is an old one somebody suggested. Unusual Suspects, which is uh, essentially racial profiling the game. And Take It Easy is the other one I played. And then on vacation with my daughter, I taught her how to play set. So that was fun. That was cool. I saw your tweet. That looked really cool. Jeff, what did you play? Um, After we recorded last week, I played, I picked up uh, Mice and Mystics. I've been playing that with my girlfriend and her son. And uh, proceeded to lose the second chapter of that about five times in a row. So I'm probably interpreting the rules totally wrong. I, uh, I played uh, Exploding Kittens this weekend with uh, just some family friends uh, who aren't really big gamers, but uh, we had a good time playing it. We hadn't played it yet. I bought it a while back, and I know it's a popular game, So, um, but we liked it. It was a good little kind of closing up the night after playing some Diablo. Uh, it, was good. it was a fun game. Excellent, excellent. On uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about Codenames, which is a 2015 game from Czech Games Edition that is a become a pretty popular party game. Following that, we're going to do a couple rounds of Who Got the Better Deal, where we're going to look at some recent game trades, and we're going to debate between the two parties who ended up coming out ahead on those trades. And then for our old game section, we're going to be talking about Hob and Goot, a 2008 game of uh, market manipulation and stock trading. First, though, let's launch into our segment on new games. Codenames is a 2015 game from Czech Games Edition by the prolific game designer uh, Vlada Chvatel. Am I saying that right, guys? Sounds right, right to me. Sure. All right, so the, you, um, you have a bunch of cards with words on them. You spread them out in a 5x5 five five grid, and then there are two teams. Each team has a clue giver, and you're giving a clue of one word and a number. And so basically, you would say a word like butter, and then six which is pretty high, but you know you would more likely say butter three. And then people would look at the board, and your team would try to decide what you're trying to get them to point to, like which ones are the code words that they're supposed to do. So they may see bread out there. They may see, I don't know, whatever else would go with butter. Popcorn, maybe? You know, and so whatever words are out there, they would pick those. If you reveal a keyword of the other team, it gets flipped over to, it gets, flipped, it gets marked as their side, and so it counts towards their team. And then on the grid, there's always one kind of assassin one out there that if either team hits, they their team immediately loses. So um, 
it's really a game of just trying to to get into your mind, to get it to what you are thinking, and to lead them to the correct code names that are out on the board. After a while, it turns into how <laughs> clever can you be. Also, you know, how many can you hit with just one person? Or if you really know someone on the team, then it, it turns into in jokes and things like that. But that's a legitimate strategy to win these kind of games. I've seen this game has had a lot of success with my gaming groups. It really is more of an activity, though. You know, nobody's playing it really seriously, but it is a good way to pass the time. I've introduced it to gamers and non-gamers alike, and they've both loved it. Yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely something to kind of play in between games, or if you're at a convention, I saw a lot of people using it to kind of almost as an icebreaker to kind of meet other people and play a you know nice social game with them. I'm not a huge fan of it, but there's not anything really to not be a huge fan of it. It's it's fine. It plays pretty well. It is kind of fun stressing out about what your word is going to be, at, and at the same time not getting people to stray anywhere near that assassin word i like it all right it's it's a good little game to meet people with yeah it's become my go-to party game like if i'm going someplace and i know there's going to be a bunch of people there look at my collection i just grab that uh, pretty much automatically now yeah it's been my list oh sorry go ahead yeah the one thing that does bug me about it is the whole like the theme the theme has nothing to do with it whatsoever in my opinion like trying to explain people how to play it i totally don't even talk about the whole secret agent part of it at all I mean, how important is theme on something like this, though? Yeah, not at all to me. I don't even remember ever saying, hey, we're all spies and we're trying to guess the secret drop. You know, like, I've never introduced the game like that. I just see it as a pure word kind of game. I think the only place where it falls down kind of is if you're crossing the streams. So if I have non-gamers and gamers in the same space, then sometimes you just have to know your audience. You know, like I used Bifrost as a clue and half the people looked at me like I was nuts. You know what I mean? That's the bridge in Norse mythology. But yeah, I I don't think the theme really matters at all in a game like this or Password or any of the party games, really. Uh, Apples to apples. I think it's all just getting people involved. Yeah, I think for me, it falls in that same category as Time's Up. I actually kind of don't like playing Time's Up with people I don't know because of the charade element. At these game conventions we go to, you'll tend to walk through these different game areas and you'll see a group of people playing charades and I hightail it away from that as fast as I can. So that I don't like that part of Time's Up and some of those other charades kind of games, but with Codenames, that's the one thing I do enjoy about it. It's a little bit cerebral, or it can be. Like Chris said, if you're playing with a group of people you know, it's it can be a, a, just an in-joke generator, but yeah, it's enjoyable. It's been on my list for a while, It's because I'm always looking for, for good party games, because a lot of my friends don't don't play games very often, uh, but they'll like jump in if you have one, so I've had it on my, my Amazon wish list for a while. It seems like a lot of fun. Does anybody here know what's the what's the overall availability of code names? I know for some time, like especially on the board game subreddit, people talked an awful lot about that they were able to find it finally at some times. I get the impression it's, it's generally available right now, but it, we talked on a previous episode about some things becoming available in mass merchant like Target. I presume this isn't there yet, but is this something that we could possibly see coming to uh, Target? Oh, yeah, I think it's easily a Target board game. I mean, any of those party games that don't have a, a high hurdle for entry, I think it's only a matter of time before the mass market stores open up and, and get this one. You can actually buy oh, it at Target also- now. Okay, yeah, okay. I, I was wondering about that. If Is it is it actually Target or is it Target online? Um, in stock at my local store. It's okay, a- well, then there you are nice. then. Because I was going to say that I ha- on a on a similar topic of party ish, but then spy theme. I have seen Spyfall at my local Target, which is sort of fits in a similar vein of of the amount of accessibility party ish for a group. 
Um, it was hard to get for a while, but I think it's I think it's pretty much hit their second print run or whatever, and now it's available everywhere. I mean, do you see do you see this game kind of being one of those games that gets an expansion or you know maybe specific licensed expansions or something like that? Yeah, I could also see it like you know them going down the path of Codenames Junior or something like that. Right. You know, with easier names, easier words, cat, dog, whatever. You know, and and going that route also. I don't know if more words would help it though. I mean, it's got a ton, and they're all double sided cards. I don't know how much more they can really get out of that, but I mean, if something's popular enough, they'll find a way to get more money out of it. How about if you take the cards from Mysterium and you throw them into Codenames and then try to make your group pick out a certain card of of, of that tableau? Sure. Oh, is no, that pretty much Dixit? Yeah, yeah, it is Dixit. They call that Dixit, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, does anybody have anything else to say about Code Names? We sort of blazed through that one. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's been a good it's been a good game with multiple groups. Um, it's really popular. It's small box size. It's cheap. You know, you can pick it up online for really cheap if you want. Yeah. Um, what is the I price point on it? In, at Jeff, what was it? What's it? Nineteen ninety nine at Target. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's a golden kind of a golden prize for some of these, you know, larger than a deck of cards type games. Have any of you played it with anybody who absolutely hated it afterwards? Nope, uh, just me. Yeah, absolutely hated it. No, I mean I've I've seen people be kind of like, uh, it's another word game. Who cares? There's a lot of people who don't like like that subjectivity in games. You know, like the the apples to apples the you know code names the you know that kind of thing um overall but i haven't seen anyone who's absolutely hated it though what did they hate about it joe uh, i don't know i'll have to ask her <laughs> now every time i'm like oh i'm gonna bring code names she's like oh, i don't want to play code names that's like that's the biggest complaint i get about because we play cards against humanities a lot in a lot of different circles and that's the biggest yeah i say it's a four-letter word in the game in the board game world but you know, for us, it's like a huge party game. And the biggest complaint, though, that I hear is that I, I don't like the subjectivity. I don't like that somebody gets to pick. And I'm like, well, you know, that's that's part of it. But um, it can it can wear down a mechanic pretty quickly. If yeah. that's well, that's interesting too because the code names for me doesn't you know like Chris said, there's a ton of cards and there's you know I don't really like with Cards Against Humanity as a group we've played that several so many times now that I'm sure like the rest of you I find myself just drawing cards and wishing I could get to the five, five or six really good cards I know that are in there yeah but with code names it's I mean it's just it's less it's less objective so it's fine with every time you play it's going to be a little bit different because you you don't memorize the cards and there's not really a you know any kind of a targeted response so. Yeah. Yes. Like super cards. You know, there's certain super cards and cards against humanity, I think, you know, and yeah, you need more and more variety to keep that game fresh. And, you know, it wears thin. It's best, like, put away for a long time and then play it. And yeah, it's uh, cards against humanity is one of those weird things that the PC police and the board game community have, like, hit it hard, you know. And I don't disagree that it gets boring after a while, but they are really down on it. And I don't think there's any real reason for that. It's just a, it's a game, it's a way to pull people together. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's how I look at it too. Exactly. I mean, we 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 have all tired of it too, and we're not like hardcore gamers either. We just you play it so much that you know you you get to know the cards so well. But and the same thing happened with us with apples to apples though. I mean, we just after a while it kind of wore down. That's why I was interested in code names because it seemed like it had a lot more replayability. So I'm looking forward to trying it. You know, if you got if you got apples to apples, you could pretty much you could play code names with it. You just have all your uh, your object cards, lay them out, and just make your own secret card with with the grid work for you. But that's not my themed. 
<laughs> that, I don't think that'll work. I think you, uh, I think you do that. Uh, you lay your apples, apples cards out, and you call the game Apple Picker. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, Apple Picker. You hear that? You hear that? Out of the box gaming. I just sold another game for you. Good work. They probably take it, you know. All right. Well, moving on from code names, uh, let's play a, a couple rounds of who got the better deal in our activity of. Who got the better deal? We have a look at a trade and see what games were traded, and we give the opinion of who we think did better and who we think did worse in, in each outing. Chris, you want to get us started off with some selections for this time? Uh, sure thing. So the first one that I see here that has been picked out by the lovely Ryan would be uh, someone traded Legends of Andor for Galaxy Trucker. Have, you, have you all played both of these games? Legend of Andor and Galaxy Trucker? I've watched them played. I definitely prefer Galaxy Trucker, so Galaxy Trucker is a lot more approachable game, I think. Legends of Andor is pretty specifically, I don't know if it's high fantasy or area control kind of game. No, it's 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 high fantasy. It's got a little bit of the questing thing to it. It's a co-op game. Like, you run through the Legends of Andor, they are different books to the chapter, and it's a co-op, and you're trying to beat each of the co-op scenarios. My snap judgment is Galaxy Trucker was better because I haven't played the other one, and uh, as soon as you said fantasy, I stopped listening. <laughs> yeah, that we have that problem in this group, I think. No, Galaxy Trucker is a great game, though. I mean, it's it's a very dynamic game. It can be starts out really easy and gets really really hard. So I'm sure it's a I'm sure that that one's kind of a maybe a mutual trade. There seems pretty fair to me. Yeah, I, pure value alone, Galaxy Trucker is worth a lot more than Legends of Andor. Like you can pick a Legends of Andor up online for like thirty five bucks, and I think Galaxy Trucker still runs you forty five to fifty. You know, just because of the sheer amount of stuff in there. Right. I also think Galaxy Trucker's uh, more playable. Legends of Andor only comes with five scenarios in the box, so uh, I give the edge to Galaxy Trucker. Awesome. Next one? All right. Uh, the next one. Oh, this is a big one. So it's like all of Flashpoint, which is a another co-op. So Flashpoint and its expansion, uh, which is about you know putting out fires, that kind of thing, and Power Grid, an oldie, for everything Ghost Stories. So, Ghost Stories, a bunch, and an expansion, and then a bunch of little mini expansions, and Spirium, which is a, a little kind of worker placement kind of game. Yeah, it's steampunk. Yeah, steampunk themed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> advantage, clearly, uh, goes to uh, the Power Grid Flashpoint. I don't even care about the Flashpoint that they got Power Grid because uh, I don't like Ghost Stories. I just. I can't stand yeah, those I stories. I mean, it's a it's a glorified tic tac toe to me, and it's super super hard. So I, I I'm very envious of the guy giving up all of his ghost stories and Spirium to get quite a bit of Flashpoint and Power Grid. So yeah, I'm torn on this one. Uh, I don't like ghost stories either, but they're getting a lot of stuff there. Spirium's okay, but also again super cheap. I think Flashpoint's got limited playability though, and Power Grid the end game just falls apart for me every time. Yeah, I'm liking a toss-up here, personally. I'm totally on the the power grid train because the end the end point of, of power grid can I, I can see where it does it can fall apart, but it, it still has enough lasting power with me that I've got. I, I I bought the the box for the all the expansion maps to go into, and it doesn't close anymore because I have all the expansion maps, which this person did not get. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, you got to start somewhere. So really, that's really he's kind of trading into an addiction, maybe if he's a completist, because those I don't think those are yeah, easy to but get. But I mean. But he's yeah, trading but he's all the ghost out of, stories. Uh, out of the ghost stories addiction, which is still a pretty good trade. That's true. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think anybody who are making trades on Board Game Geek have any problem with collecting every last little piece of every game. So I think That's he's true. all right. All right, should we do one more? 
Oh, well, Jeff and Corey didn't weigh in. Let's. Uh, oh, let Jeff and Corey weigh in. <laughs> Out of all those games, I've only ever played Flashpoint, so I have no opinion. Yeah, and I've I've never played any of them, and I can only go off theme, and that's just not a really good way to rate games. So, <laughs> I did do a uh, a demo of Legends of Andor at uh, uh, BGG Con, so I kind of lean towards that versus Galaxy Trucker because I've never played Galaxy Trucker, and mm-hmm. the uh, the lady that was doing the demo was pretty hot. Well, that's good. And hey, you know, on BGG, it's okay to rate by theme. I mean, that's how Twilight Struggle got to the top. Uh, the oh. next one. Oh, shots fired. The, we've got Chinatown, El Grande Big Box, Fearsome Floors, and Quantum, all traded for Chicken Caesar and Robinson Crusoe. So is it, so is it just me or the guy that's trading... The guy that's trading away the Chinatown and the big box El Grande is that's not a fair trade, is it? I mean, is Robinson uh, Crusoe that that worth that much? So Chinatown has been reprinted fairly recently, so it's fairly cheap. El Grande big box they did enough of them. Fearsome Floors is cheap. Quantum's cheap. Yeah, maybe Chicken Caesar's slightly rare. Robinson Crusoe always goes for more than I think it should. It's always right. like sixty to seventy bucks, even with a discount online. Yeah, I don't know. Is Fearsome Floors the the one where the like monsters are chasing you around? Yeah, based yep. on the grid mm-hmm. system. Okay. Yep, that's it. And then El Grande is the classic area control game. Chinatown's uh, auction. Uh, Quantum's a little. Is Quantum the? Um, oh no, Quantum's the little box, isn't it? Yeah. The as the Asmati games, little box game, the four X game. Is that right? That's what I. That's what I had in mind for it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. Hmm. That one's tough. I'd probably give it to... Hmm. See, personally, I'd probably give it to the guy that's getting Chicken Caesar and Robinson Crusoe. Because Robinson Crusoe is one of the games that I've wanted for a while and I just haven't pulled the trigger on. And I've played to death El Grande and Chinatown, and I have no reason to ever play Fearsome Floors again. See, I, I enjoy El Grande Arch. quite a bit, but I've never played... Uh, I've, I've played Chicken Caesar a little bit, and I've played. I've never played Robinson Crusoe. So, yeah, that's kind of... I guess that's kind of a toss-up as well. Scott... Yeah, I don't have anything to say on this one because I've not played Chicken Caesar or Robinson Crusoe, but the fact that he's got the El Grande big box gives me a little bit of a little bit of, of envy just because I have the old version of El Grande that doesn't even have the expansions. And Ryan hurt my feelings because he wanted to play El Grande and I broke it out. And he said, "Oh, it doesn't have the expansions. Oh, we'll play something else then." Yeah, I do not want to play Scott's poor man's copy of El Grande. I hate you so much. I have never played El Grande. Uh, we might have to correct that. We played that. That was the uh, t- ten years ago at the first our first little get together down at the Lake of the Ozarks. That was that was a big one we played. Let's do one more. One more. All right. I've got Survive Escape from Atlantis for Rampage, otherwise known as Terror in Meeple City. I hate that name. That name. I, I would almost give uh, that, that that he was trading for the English edition as Rampage. Is it is. A slight bonus there because Terra Maple City is the worst name that one could name a game. It is unequivocally awful. That being they, said, did they have uh, trouble getting the license the, for it? Uh, I'm, so what now? I'm not even sure they tried to get the license for it, which blows my mind. If they printed a game called Rampage with red and green colors and they didn't have the license for it. It actually I, says on Amazon, title may vary as Terra Maple City or Rampage. Yeah. How big are your balls? Printing a game right. with that name and that color scheme without getting permission first. See, it's, it's repost though, and they're you know coming from a French mindset, and they're like, "Ah, we'll make this game; it'll be very good." And uh, who cares if we got the name right? 
there goes our French audience. Yeah, I was just going to say that. <laughs> Mark another country off the big board. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know, This I like both of these games. I mean, I don't think either one of them is really any a game that we play and get into as a mature gaming group, but both of them I play with family quite a bit. So maybe the edge goes to survive. I mean, that's a, it's a classic and it got a great reprint for the modern audiences. So I think I'd edge on the side of the survive. Yeah, I, I think I'm there too. I think I would go with survive as well. Rampage is cute and I've played it a few times, but I've played survive way more and survive just works better as a game. I think in, in this situation, I would probably see. I see it survive escape from Atlantis. Means it. I'm. I think that's the title from the Stronghold edition. If it were Parker Brothers Survive, I'd be a little happier with that one, just because I I, I like that. I I appreciate that that Stronghold did a reprint on it. I don't know. There's there's some like elements to it that just kind of make my skin crawl. Just the the way they the way they handle some of the hex tiles for the, for the 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 center just. I don't know, something undescribable about them I don't really care for. And also, you know, it's sort of a classic affinity for the Parker Brothers edition. But that being said, I would yeah, I'd still probably take the, the Stronghold one over Rampage. And i definitely take it all day long over Terra Meeple City. Yeah, Scott doesn't like that name. I really dislike the term Meeple. Just it has become the bane of my existence. That's about it. And that's been Rate This Trade. <laughs> Wait. Uh, it was called Who Got the Better Deal? Who Got Rate the Better trade. Deal? Are you going to rename the segment in the middle of the segment? <laughs> that was Can you rate my deals? deals? Can you rate my board game deals? I'm not going <laughs> to like that segment because I got like three games I want to buy now. What are you going to buy? Well, what are you going to buy, just, Corey? Based on theme alone, the Robinson Crusoe looks awesome. I love I love pirate themes. El Grande, I've heard just good things about from you guys. And then uh, what was the other one? Uh, Legends of Andor looks looks pretty cool for I'm a fantasy nut. So, yeah, Robinson Crusoe is supposed to be a uh, a hot mess rules wise. So, like, read up on BGG to make sure you got to go. Legends of Andor, um, I think, could be fun with the right group. Um, I, I would pick the same group and like play through the entire game with them. You know, and I okay. think that would be good. Cool. And El Grande is a classic. You can't go wrong yeah. with it. Yeah, it seems would like. You do, would you do Legends of Andor or like Runebound? Runebound can die in a fire, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. But, but that's me. Runebound's a terrible game for more than two or three players. Legends of Andor, because it's a co-op, it it seems like it's got a little bit more uh, appeal to the high fantasy, the people that are searching out high fantasy games. Yeah, I mean, all, all three of those Corey are pretty good. I mean, I can't say I can't speak for Robinson Crusoe. I mean, I've wanted to play it. It's but it's one of those games where I only see it at conventions and it it seems like a pretty deep dive. Okay. So, well, I, I mean, I'm I'm open to like I'd like to collect a couple from your different themes, but the, you know, the pirate theme is one I haven't seen too much from, but I'm sure there's plenty out there, so I will come across many. Uh, for me, pirate theme. If you're looking for that, Merchants of Marauders was is probably the most enjoyable pirate theme game I've played recently. Cool. That or that Black cool. Black Sail. I actually really enjoy Black Sail. Yeah, both of these look really cool. At this point in recording the podcast, we encountered some issues that destroyed our connections and killed the audio. So this is a re-record of a few elements to introduce the next segment. For our third segment, we're talking about one of my favorite games, Habengut. Habengut is a 2008 game by Carlo Rossi, put out by Winning Moves Germany. It's for three to five players, and it's based on stock manipulation. Through the course of the game, players are going to manipulate stocks up and down. Each player is buying and selling stocks, uh, and then manipulating the market up and down. But 
the real key of the game, in my opinion, is that when you play with when you play with three or four or five players, you have you have a certain amount of knowledge of what's going on in the game or what can happen in the game because the way that all the stocks are manipulated are by cards that are put on racks that are set between the players. So I can see the rack that's on my left, as can the player who's on my left. I can see the rack that's on my right, as can the player that's on my right. Each turn, I'm going to take a card to manipulate stocks. I'm going to have to take one card from the left-hand rack and one card from the right-hand rack and apply the effects to the stocks that are on the board. Uh, One of them I'll put out at full, and one of them I'll put out at half. So from what I have in my perspective, I can see a little bit about where some of the stocks are going to go. So if I see that like wheat is going to go up on my left-hand rack and I don't see it go down my right-hand rack at all, I have a pretty good notion that among all the cards that are available at the table, wheat's going to probably do pretty good for the turn. So I might buy wheat because I know, especially from my own action, I can push wheat up and there's possibly not more cards around the table that's going to push wheat back down again. Then there's also a minor aspect of the game that you have to, since we're all philanthropists, everybody has to donate stocks to uh, to the needy. So every round after you've bought or sold your stocks, you're gonna you get to place one of them face down uh, on your donation board. At the midpoint of the game, everybody's going to announce how much money they are donating to charity. At the end of the game, whoever donated the least to charity automatically loses. So it's got that extra little bit of marketing aspect to it. That not only do you want to push up stocks to make money for yourself, but also you have to be savvy about what you're going to donate to charity because the stock you donated at the beginning of the round, you only get the valuation of it at the end of the round. So you have to make certain that that's one that performs well so you can get good money out of it for charity so you don't come in last and you're uncharitable and thrown out of the game. Jeff, what are your thoughts on uh, on Hobbin Good? I played it once and totally forgot to be charitable and totally lost the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the close to the end of the game, like, oh, I was supposed to be com- contributing stuff to charity. Totally forgot about it. I thought I was doing a lot better than I was, and that totally screwed me over at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, like for somebody who's not really into that kind of uh, stock manip- like, manipulation game, I kind of dug it a lot, actually. It was going into it. I didn't think I'd enjoy it as much as I did, and I definitely it's not it's not a game I would own because I never would be like, hey, let's play this. But if if like one of you guys were like, hey, let's play, I'm like, all right, that'd be fun. And remember to contribute to charity. Ryan, do you have some thoughts on on Hobbin Good? Yeah, I actually really enjoy Hobbin Good. As you know, I, I like market manipulation games quite a bit. But some of them can get maybe a little bit long in the tooth, or you don't have as you don't have quite as much control over it, or and definitely don't have as much information. So what I do appreciate about Hobbin Goods is it seems to scale pretty well with a variable number of players, and it, it really is. It's nice to stress out about how much you're giving to charity and you're, you're really kind of, you know, watching other people as they, as they kind of give in, you know, to their own charity and balancing that against also doing well in the market. You know, you might find yourself in a turn where there's, you know, something that you've, you see in your trays as being valuable in a couple turns is really low right now. So the buy low, sell high urge is, is strong, but three people put into charity. So it's like, you know, I need to put this money that I should be investing right now into charity or I'm going to lose. So uh, I, I do enjoy that. And, you know, the, for a market manipulation game that could really just have pictures of cubes, the art is, is really nice in this game. And just the whole aspect of the trays, you know, being in between players and their art on them is, is really kind of nice. Yeah, I gotta say the art is really, really nice. Let's just looking it up while he's talking about it, and it, it looks really sharp. The board, the game, it, like the board itself, and all the trays, looks really cool. 
Yeah, I agree with everything said so far. I really enjoy the game. I like it a lot. I own it. It goes up to five players, I believe, and it works at, you know, from three, four, or five. I think it's best with uh, four or five, though, personally. The thing that shocks me is that it hasn't been reprinted or it hasn't seen a U.S. release either. I mean, the game is largely language independent and nobody has picked it up here. Also, I, I think it's ranked fairly high, too, for just a release that has not been out in the U.S. I think I'm seeing, yeah, 737, which is nuts. I'm really shocked somebody hasn't picked it up here in the U.S. Uh, because it goes quickly, it accommodates three to five players, and it's unique. There's there's not anything else that I can think of that's like it. This might be a little bit outside uh, as for a reason why it might not be might not have been picked up or been produced by anybody else is that uh, it is by Winning Moves and Winning Moves does have a presence in the U.S. But back in 2011, 2012, 2013, uh, Winning Moves made a little bit of an internal decision. They were going to move away from some of their at least, sorry, I was told by somebody that Winning Moves was moving away from some of their more specialized titles and going for a few more of the constant performing titles. Like Winning Moves has a, a, a European Monopoly license and has a few other things. So it might have just gotten buried. I went to Essen in 2012, and one of the discount merchants had stacks and stacks and stacks of Hob and Goot that they were selling for seven euros, I think, maybe even six. And so I ended up picking up, I, I wanted one for myself, so I picked up one for myself, and then I picked up two more copies to bring home that I ended up selling in a flea market that they, like, the I, they practically got snatched right out of my hand. I, I'm with Chris. I think it could be a very solid seller, and it's kind of a mystery as to why it's not really getting better play than it has. Yeah, I, I've introduced it to a bunch of people, and they're all like, oh, cool, I'm going to get this. And then, then they realize they really can't, you know, that it's, it's difficult to find here in the U.S. anyway. I would totally buy it if it was out in the, in the U.S. with the current theme. Like, I'm, I'm hunting it down now. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It could be shares. could be, I don't know what else. Maybe a racing Corey, thing. Don't, don't be using us as an excuse to your wife. That's not, we're not going to allow her to be mad at us for that. I, she can't get bad about market games. She's a licensed trader. That's true. She, I mean, she has to like them. What if you beat her, though? No, that won't <laughs> happen. It's never happened before. <laughs> Corey, just uh, just take us all as a cautionary tale. Uh, we all went through the exact same. We all, all went through a phase where we were like, oh, that game sounds neat. Oh, that game sounds neat. Oh, that game sounds neat. And we bought a whole bunch of games. Uh, <laughs> and you just... Just uh, just put pump the brakes a little bit. You might you might not need everything. No, I, and I'm uh, not going for everything. That's why I've you know I told you guys I'm really big on theme and that I mean like there, there's two things. I mean it's it's it kind of has to meet all the box check all the boxes for me in order to even consider it for my quote unquote library. So uh, I'm not following your guy. I mean I'm impressed by the collections. Don't get me wrong, but you know I'm definitely a casual player. And besides outside of you guys, I won't I won't have many people to play stuff with anyway. So. Oh, yeah, because you're gonna eventually you'll find yourself getting ready to move like I am, and looking at, you know, I think I've got almost 600 games now, which is not, you know, maybe middle of the road for a lot of, you know, board game geek users, and I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do. I mean, Scott, <laughs> you just moved. How many boxes of games did you have? Forty medium-sized Home Depot oh, moving boxes. Lord, uh, just, so. just just games. So what's your count? Uh, I did a touch count uh, after I got them all put on shelves, and I think I think I had like six fifty. But that's everything that I have a big box for. So like if I go for my 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 board game geek number, it's probably somewhere around eight, just because of small expansions and things that are folded into other things. But uh, actually, I don't know if the box count counted all of my card games. But yeah, it was it, that was about where I was. 
Jeff? I, Jeff, I, what I, size? Oh, uh, it's close to 200 now. I don't know exactly. And Corey, where are you at? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure now. Maybe 15, maybe, total, including, like, Scrabble, Monopoly, you know. Those count. Gotcha. Those well, do I, count, yeah. I think that we're generally at a consensus that if Corey wanted to seek out Hobbin Good, as long as the price wasn't ridiculous, that it's still probably a pretty good get, just because of how well we all like it. But that being said, Ryan, you have a copy, don't you? I do not have a copy. I, I, it's on my oh, list. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I thought you did. I was going to say, that being said, Ryan's got a copy. I've got a copy. Why would you go get your own copy? But, you know, that's... that's I'm also... Second the, thought, though. Go ahead. I'm of, the, I'm of the mind, like, with games like that, especially if it's, like, a classic that a lot of people know about. Like, I bought The Little Prince without having read it because I knew so many people thought it was a classic, and I got, like, a old, really old copy as a good deal on eBay. And I'll buy something sight unseen if I know that if, if it's worth collecting and I know I'm going to get some use out of it and enjoy it. And this seems like one of those ones that even before I saw it, you guys were talking pretty highly of it. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a definite buy. So I'm not going to go crazy, but that's certainly something I want in the collection. True, true. I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> just, yeah, just trying try. uh, from, from the from the, like I said from the guy who had to move forty boxes of games. <laughs> cautionary tale: don't don't overinvest. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying if I have to move, I'm just burning the place down and collecting the insurance. <laughs> Starting over. Huh? <laughs> okay, well I think we've we've pretty much wrapped up our Hobbin Goot discussion. Let's slide right into our wrap up with uh, hypothetical questions. Looks like the one that got highlighted as the uh, suggestion for for this evening was. What game, other than Outdoor Survival, is unbelievably terrible, but you still play it and have an okay time with it? Go ahead, Jeff. For me, it would have to be, uh, it'd have to be Dungeon Roll. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. Shots fired. No, for me, it's Mutiny. Mutiny is a Fantasy Flight Silverline game from quite a while ago, actually. It's a bidding game where you're bidding to get control over, I think, five different pirates. And there's like so there's like a captain. I think there's a first mate. There's a gunner, helmsman, and and something else. Maybe even cook. And when your bids are out, your bids kind of stay out. So if you invest heavily in one of the pirates, you're going to be kind of stuck there. And so let, let's say you invest heavily in the pirate captain, you won't have much of a shot if someone else is invested heavily uh, on the helmsman. So you won't really have any say on where you're going. So it, it's a game that I've not had many people enjoy because the the bidding can be kind of vicious and like I said it, you got you kind of get stuck into your bids. But I still like it. It's got for being an older game, it had you know interesting cardboard cutouts. There was a saber and uh, you know daggers and and stuff like that. And the pirate theme on it was at least in an interaction way was decent themey for me. So for me, it's it's mutiny mutiny exclamation point. Hmm. I think for me, it's uh, Dear Plumpsack, because, you know, the game is terrible. It's a kid's game. It's really boring, but I will never tire of teabagging random objects. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wish I had Dear Plumpsack. I've got Sherlock, the American reprint. Oh, yeah. Why do you even own that? It's good to kind of play with the kids, but again, I'm not giggling at it like you are when I play it. So it's serious business around your house. It's a dog, and it's a dog <laughs> named Sherlock, not a fleshy sack of whatever. Right. Mine, mine is like a burlap sack that looks like balls, and yours is a dog in a hat. It's a sack Scott. of poop. Yep. Come on, Scott. I'm going through. I'm going backwards through the bottom of the uh, BGG ranks, and I'm like looking at stuff. I'm like, I, I wouldn't play any of these things. Going let's, to let's, preface it, let's preface it, too, by saying that 
you know, outdoor survival. I, our group absolutely loves that, and we'll talk about it in a later episode. But it's universally maligned as a terrible game, uh, and we have a blast with it. So, Jeff, did you have something other than Dungeon Roll? Uh, Dungeon Roll was I was joking about that. Um, I was trying to think. I don't have anything that meets both of those. Like it's terrible, but I still enjoy playing it. I guess like the things that I have that I think are terrible, I don't enjoy playing them. So. I don't know. I don't think I have anything. Do you, do you not like stocks and bonds maybe a little bit? Um, no. <laughs> All right, there you go, right? Right, you gave me mine. That's perfect. Stocks and bonds. Uh, stocks and bonds as because and I, this is not to po- poke at you, Jeff, because I know how much you dislike the game. But stocks and bonds, I spent from from an outside perspective, stocks and bonds, the old three M game, is actually a terrible game. Just because it requires zero interaction among players, it is just an accounting exercise on paper. It is sort of like a stock market, right? So you you're going to you're going to buy stuff, you're going to invest. It's going to produce, it's going to go up or go down. Uh, certain stocks are going to yield dividends, and that's all just paperwork. Basically, you're just going to be getting a little bit of information of the game, and then just writing a whole bunch of stuff down, and then making a kind of a decision. But it's also really bad from a game perspective as well, because for the people who have played it and who've played it for uh, played several games of it, there are a couple of companies that perform better over time. So if you decide to play, like if you if you're playing stocks and bonds, if you invest in striker drilling, striker drilling can have some bad years. But overall, striker drilling will, through the action of the stock slider as well as the action of the cards, striker drilling will generally pay off way better than the market on any other any of the other stocks, which then sort of breaks things. Uh, but that being said, the time we played where Jeff really hated the game, Jeff, you quit like playing the second round or so, and then we just played through the year. Was that the case? Um, or you quit the first year? I think I bought stocks in the second round. Bought one stock in the second round and nothing else for the rest of the game because I didn't realize what the was going on. <laughs> right, <laughs> I no, one, no one explained it to me whatsoever. And then at one point I realized this is not a game. This is a counting class. And, uh, right. I, at the but end, I wanted at the end of it, when even the, though... Yeah, when the, total, when the scores were total, I did not lose. Yes, that's correct. You you did not do anything for most of the game, and you did not lose because other people who were actively playing, buying and selling stocks, performed worse because they had made bad choices. Which is, I don't know. It it, it is it, it is a game that that allows itself to be. I mean, you can you can play it. It's something you know that that, that players can can try to play. But also, you more or less can get the exact same effect by just playing it solo and 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 trying to uh, to get your high score, which is sort of like beating a tennis ball against a wall. It is not a game. I will go to my grave fighting for that fact. <laughs> well, to, it is not to, a game. To be sure, Jeff, you only played, by the title alone, half the game. Because if I remember right, you only bought one municipal bond. And it because those don't ever lose their value, you beat the guys that were just going willy-nilly with all of their money and throwing it in the, the, you know, the two stocks that crashed in that game. So Yeah, I, uh, I almost cried playing that game. Or that <laughs> that exercise, <thing>. that, <laughs> that torturous exercise. Corey, do you hold, hold any opinions on games that uh, you think are objectively terrible, but you still play them? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think I have a big enough collection yet, to be honest. <sighs> okay, you'll play stocks and bonds this year. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> this wraps it up for this episode of ULP. Uh, next time we're we're on, we're going to be talking about the game Sneaky Cards and larger meta games. I'm going to do a rundown. Or we're going to talk about thrift games, and I'm going to give a thrift score report. And we're we're going to talk about outdoor survival, the game that's so bad it's good. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Reed. 
I am at Ludography Scott on Twitter. I'm Ryan Johnson. I'm at Ol River Johnson with underscores between and a no H on the on the Johnson. I'm Ludography Jeff. I am Beast of Lime on Twitter. And I'm CB Darden on Twitter. This podcast was brought to you by Ludography.net. Ludography.net, a website made on a phone. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you next time. Games, 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 games,